Today, I want you to consider whether or not your worldview might actually be killing you. What do I mean by that? Stick around to find out. And then Martin Grogamp was uh, nominated for the position of senior um, magistrate in the court where he's been acting in the same position for the past 10 years. What is that about? Find out a little bit later on. And Nando's Caves to Public Pressure, all of that and so much more today on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get into it. Welcome. We are slowly and steadily but surely inching closer and closer to that 20 episode mark. Uh, Remember, I promised a video broadcast as of the 20th episode, and I'm quite excited about that. Remember to engage with me in the comments section. I would love to hear your thoughts. I always do. And find me on my social media. I'm at Lele Mutadi underscore on Twitter and on Instagram. So today I'm trying to figure out whether or not you are aware of the lenses that tint your worldview. Uh, a worldview is basically that, right? Thankfully, this is quite a self-descriptive, self-defining, uh, self-explanatory term. Uh, it is your view of the world, right? It's your perspective of, of, of the world, uh, your perspective of um, society, the world around you, and even your place in it. Um, could your worldview be killing you? Um, and I, I really want to take this um, to a bit of a personal uh, place, right? So I have spoken in the past about uh, a coherence of worldviews, uh, maybe not in those words, but I have spoken about uh, really trying to find faith life integration, particularly as Christians, or at least myself as a Christian, um, and not living in a fragmented kind of uh, reality where um, I'm one person at the office and another person at church or small group or home cell or whatever it may be. Uh, So really just trying to find that coherence. Um, And in the past, uh, well, at least today, I find that um, sometimes, or at least the the place that has the most tension for me would be in politics and uh, faith, right? would be in politics and faith. So um, so that's usually the perspective from which I handle that content on the podcast. Uh, but really, I'm trying to dial it back just a little bit uh, to speak about how important this is, um, at least the, the, the sense in which worldviews can become very religious, right? And the sense in which um, really challenging ourselves to find coherence um, not only among different worldviews, if we're holding different worldviews, but even just to interrogate whether what which worldview we do hold, right? What are the values? What are the standards by which you make your decisions? What informs the decisions you make? Um, that's that's a conversation I feel is very important. A conversation that I don't think is being had enough. And in the true spirit of being the change you want to see, I'm having that conversation here with you. Um, so I used to be. Um, um, and I've, I've um, alluded to this in the past, but I used to be very, I used to be very much in the progressive 
camp. Uh, very progressive, very leftist. I was a militant atheist and an even more radical feminist. And um, yeah, that was basically who I was. That was the kind of life I was living. That was my worldview. I, I lived in a world where critical race theory was the lens through which I saw everything, right? I saw intersections everywhere and I saw power dynamics everywhere, you know? I saw... Um, uh, uh, whiteness and blackness and, um, and white privilege and male privilege and microaggressions everywhere. And it was only when I came to faith, when um, I really just accepted uh, uh, salvation and accepted the gift of uh, salvation that I realized how damaging that worldview was, right? Only when I came out of it did I see that it was killing me slowly. I wrote a long piece on this on my blog post. If you just peruse um, that site, you'll, you'll find a, a piece that I think I titled Has Christianity Made Me More Conservative? And I've also spoken about it in, in, a, in a podcast. But uh, essentially, I explored this idea that I was so unhappy. I was deeply, deeply unhappy um, in my life. I was carrying so much bitterness. Um, and it's no wonder, right? Um, and I've, I've noticed this with other people. People have similar testimonies. Uh, a case in point, one person that comes to mind is someone by the name of Kimi Katiti that I've just recently, over the past few months, discovered on YouTube. Such a gifted artist, a skateboarder, um, beautiful, beautiful uh, woman of God, right? Uh, a person who has had a similar journey to mine, a black woman, um, you know, who rocks her natural hair, has a heart for God, um, per someone who reads extensively, you know, who also find, found herself really just being weighed down by the heaviness of uh, critical race theory and really just leftist progressive ideas. Um, and she released a video recently, I think even just in the past day, where she, I think the title of the video was uh, 24, what 24 hours of microaggressions feel like. Um, and it was so poignant. It really got me thinking um, about this, this, this issue, right? So, um, about how damaging it is to see the world in that way and about how prominent worldviews are. Uh, our worldviews really do become the tree in the middle of the garden, or at least they are the tree in the middle of the garden, right? So are you going to eat of the worldview of your choosing, uh, which would be the tree in the middle of the garden, or will you submit to what God says um, and not eat from whatever worldview you choose? Um so, yeah, Kimi, Kimi Katiti um, released a video, uh, really just, it, it was so interesting. She, she essentially tries to live 24 hours um, seeing the world through the, the lenses that she had on before she um, essentially embraced Christianity a lot more and tried to live a more Christian life and tried to live a more um, uh, reconciliatory, reconciliatory reconciliatory. Uh, is that even a word? Am I making things up? Uh, but a life that is more focused on reconciliation than retribution. Um, 
And she has read, she, she speaks about Desmond Tutu a lot. She cites Nelson Mandela a lot. She actually uses South Africa as a case study. She's lived in South Africa uh, in the past, went to school here, I believe. Um, and also just because of, of South Africa's history um, and South Africa's, uh, you know, the TRC process and all of that. And I know it isn't perfect, uh, but, but you know, that that's just a case in point, um, you know, of, of just a, a different way to go about um, resolving the issue of pain and hatred and bitterness. Uh, but so she's got a very similar story to mine. And I, I feel so hurt when I, when I see her videos. Uh, not only is she an artist like I am and a creative like I am and a black woman like I am, uh, but just her testimony about being caught up in this world where she was so bitter and she was you know, really just buying into her own bitterness and she didn't even know it at the time, right? There's something that, um, there's something that, 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 that happens when you buy into, or when you live your life, really just, um, believing that the world is out to get you. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, maybe that's just us personally. Maybe some people take it too far. Maybe Kimmy and I took it too far. Um, and we got consumed by it. But I would also argue that um, that's just what these ideologies do. They become religious, right? Fundamentally, if you buy into uh, an ideology like critical race theory, for instance, you cannot compartmentalize that. You cannot say, well, I, I view... I view um, the my 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 career space through the lens of critical race theory and and I, I consider you know managerial positions at my workplace through the lens of critical race theory and I view the HR department's allocation of labor through critical race theory but then when you go to the shops you don't uh, you know use uh, the lenses of critical race theory unfortunately that's not how it works by default, you will be seeing microaggressions, seeing white privilege, seeing male privilege, seeing intersectionality everywhere you go. These ideologies are religious and they do compete for the place of the gospel in your life. And so um, my story is just an illustration. I'm hoping to be able to unpack uh, not just this idea, but really just other ideas, other related ideas that I have around this. Um, but over the next few um, uh, podcast episodes. But for today, I just wanted to find out from you, what is your worldview? Could it be killing you? Have When last did you interrogate that idea? Let me know in the comments. Let's move now to Martin Grokamp. I mean, if, if there's anyone who needs encouragement about just fighting the, the, the good fight, the long fight, you know, being in it not for a good time, but for a long time, playing the long game, Martin Krogam's story is really going to encourage you. Let's get into that now. The issue of worldviews and critical race theory and microaggressions and white privilege and white guilt even uh, and intersectionality um, and really just all those like leftist, progressive, cultural Marxist uh, theories, ideologies are a really good segue into the story because we're speaking here about something that may remind you of the story I did a few episodes ago of the JSC interviews where I titled it, I believe I said in the title, Dear JSC, We Need White Justices. And essentially what I was saying there is um, 
non-racialism is either a principle that we're sticking to or not, because that is a founding uh, principle, provision, value, in fact, in the um, in the Constitution. It's literally in the first provision, right? So it's essentially kind of part of the definition of South Africa uh, as defined in the Constitution by the drafters of the Constitution. It is up right up there with... Uh, non-sexism, it is right up there with the rule of law, so it is nothing small. Non-racialism is not a small issue, right? Not the way that it was envisaged by the people who drafted that, that, that constitution. So either it means something or it doesn't. And when you say that uh, white practitioners, white candidates cannot get a position because they're white, it really calls into question whether or not you believe what you're saying about the fact that racism is wrong. Um, and I do believe, before anyone misconstrues what I'm saying, I do believe there is a place for affirmative action. I do believe in being able to correct um, the past, the injustices of the past, and especially because, um, you know, it, it, an injustice along racial lines does need to be corrected along, along racial lines. But uh, I'm against the extreme uh, nature and methods that are being employed in contemporary um, uh, political discourse and contemporary uh, like realities. What, what's happening right now is, is, is incredible. But I mean, this is a bit of an encouraging story. So reading now from News 24, Londile Pengu writes, Minister of Justice and Correctional Services Ronald Lamola has appointed a white man as a senior magistrate after former minister Jeff Khatebe denied him the position 10 years ago. Imagine that Khatebe used Khadebe refused, pardon me, to appoint Martin Krokamp despite the magistrate commission recommending him for the position. The Equality Court recently ruled that Khadebe had unfairly discriminated against Krokamp by denying him the position. Now, I will link the article uh, in the comments, but essentially, um, you know, Martin Krokamp was, you know, he fought, he was playing the long game because he he was he served for the past 10 years the, the the 10 years that this thing has been dragging on he's been serving in an acting capacity in this position um and has only now been formally appointed as the senior magistrate um and and essentially the the minister the minister Jeff Khatebe former minister Jeff Khatebe couldn't actually provide um constitutionally sound reasons for why he didn't want to appoint him. Um, and that's what the Equality Court Judge Joseph Raulinga, or Raulinga, pardon me, um, said. That's what he decided. Uh, he stated in his judgment, quote, one is alive to the fact that the Magistrates Commission recommended to the minister that the first complainant be appointed to the position of senior magistrate in Alberton. According to the recommendation, the committee that con conducted the interviews had unanimously resolved to recommend the first complainant as the only suitable candidate for the position after consideration of all relevant factors, unquote. Um, so, I mean, it's a bizarre story when you just, when you read it um, and you consider all like all the factors the fact that you know it seemed really like Jeff Khatebe didn't want this white man in this position right and the, he wasn't the only white man that uh, former minister Jeff Khatebe didn't wouldn't appoint um, to 
uh, the vacancies that were available on the bench or on the benches across uh, different courts. But um, he is he is the one that's uh, obviously, you know, been able to to just stick it out and really fight it out, I guess. And he's now come out victorious. Thank goodness. Um but so, yeah, I mean, it was a big back and forth. Um, it dragged on literally for 10 years. You can only imagine how many people would have the stamina for that. I mean, some people would have been demotivated and discouraged at this point. Um, so it's, 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 it's incredible. Um, yeah, but so the, the judgment... Uh, continues as follows, quote, the position of the minister in this case seems to be that no matter how hard the magistrate's commission tried to explain the suitability of the first complainant to be appointed as senior magistrate at Alberton, he was not prepared to appoint the white male, a white male to that post. His position seems to be that a white male cannot be recommended for an appointment given the constitutional injunctions. Nothing in Section 172 of the Constitution prohibits the recommendation or appointment of a white male, unquote. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was the decision of Judge Raulinga of the uh, Equality Court. I'm probably pronouncing that surname wrong. I apologize if I am because Raulinga doesn't sound right, but Raulinga also doesn't sound too right. Uh, I've just never heard it pronounced, uh, but do just pardon me on that. Uh, but so he decided or at least ordered that uh, Krokamp be immediately appointed to the position of senior magistrate for the district of Alberton Palm Ridge in Gatle Hong. Uh, that's a that's a great that's a great story to me. This is um, yeah, that's that's an incredible story. Uh, yay to Martin Krokamp. Yay to Equality Court Judge um, Joseph Raulinga, Raulinga. And uh, yay to Solidarity. Solidarity was uh, part of this case as well, uh, taking this case up. Really, this is so important that we fight this. And I mean, who has 10 years in them? Some people would have given up, uh, but it needs to be done, right? So, for instance, even... Uh, advocate Unterhalter, who was kind of dismissed for the appointments to um, the Constitutional Court bench in the recent JSC interviews for the vacancies, um, you know, is is he going to be up to, to taking this up for the next 10 years or however, however long it takes, right? Is he going to be willing to do that? Or is he just going to move to another country? Or is he just going to move to another sector? Or is he just going to do something else altogether? And at the end of the day, what remains is that it is wrong. It is wrong, okay? It is. It's wrong. Um, and a letter penned by the CEO-elect of the Institute of Race Relations, John Andres, uh, said as much, right? So he wrote for the Business Day a few weeks ago, um, just earlier this month, saying that, uh, saying exactly this point, right? That, uh, quote, as the JSC interviews showed, the transformation agenda ensures that SA fails to use its talent pool effectively while providing a convenient point of entry to individuals who lack the requisite skills. The effects of these policies are plainly visible in our public administration and state-owned enterprises. Race-based policies should be scrapped and replaced with merit-based appointments and a non-racial empowerment plan like the Institute of Race Relations Empowerment for the Economically Disadvantaged, unquote. Now, 
I don't agree with everything this this man says here. So first of all, I mean, not not that I don't agree, but I would need I would need proof. Right. Because, um, of course, he makes aspersions on, you know, it being plainly visible in our public administration, state owned enterprises. Of course, cater deployment is what he's referring to. And there are obvious issues with cater deployment um, and there are obvious issues with with, you know, the the networks of patronage that exist in political parties and in state owned enterprises. But I don't want to lose the 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 real reason why I'm even bringing this letter up, right? I don't want to lose the meaning uh, of what he's saying when he speaks about uh, the fact that South Africa is failing to use its talent pool effectively. Um, And people get upset when they hear something like this because they're saying, well, are you saying that if we don't put white people in, that means that all the other candidates just, you know, uh, don't have the the aptitude or don't have the acumen or, or the experience or anything like that? No, that's not what we're saying. But we're saying that you aren't using the pool, the pool, right? So when you, when you exclude all white people from the pool, you aren't using your pool effectively. Now you've got less people to pick from because you refuse to pick from white people, you you refuse to pick white people, Um, you you refuse to pick white males, you're not using your talent pool effectively, you need the, and and that's the thing, I I would, for instance, reject the idea that there's such a thing as a white perspective, but at the same time, um, the people who are proponents of these kinds of race-based appointment systems, they would say, well, there is... A kind of thing as a black perspective, right? They would buy into the idea of um, standpoint epistemology. And so if that is also the case, then I would argue that we need a white perspective only because um, we need as varied a judicial adjudication or at least an, as as comprehensive an, an, an adjudication or ventilation of a uh, of, of judicial matters as possible especially in the apex court so if anything if diversity is going to mean anything it has to mean that white men are also involved do you agree do you not let me know in the comments Moving now to a story I didn't think we'd be revisiting so early on. Oh my goodness. Yesterday we spoke about uh, Gareth Cliff and Mozuri uh, Rakibane and um, Nando's. Nando's had initially come out. If you need context on that story, please do go into the um podcast from yesterday i just want to honor your time by not rehashing everything every time i have to speak about it again or continue um the conversation again but so um gareth gareth cliff has now been dismissed right so his sponsorship with nando's nando's who was signing the check of this uh of this uh i believe it was the burning point um it was the name of this this podcast that nando's was uh, or at least the segment on the on cliff central um the show on cliff central that they were sponsoring they have cut that off now right so they've given cliff the boot and initially, they had come out to say, this is this is wild. Initially, Nando's had come out to say, well, we believe in, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Um, and yeah, well, it's got it's really got nothing to do with us, but we believe in free speech. Uh, and now they've dismissed Cliff. Right. So they've caved to public pressure. Um, 
people were allegedly um, threatening to boycott boycott Nando's. Personally, after this move, I am not buying Nando's again as a principle, as a decision on of principle, as a matter of principle. I will not buy Nando's. First of all, okay, I have to admit that I had um, I'd ruled Nando's out after they disappointed me with their vegetarian burger. Uh, like a month or so ago, uh, I, they, yeah, it really upset me. It really upset me. It, like, bad food upsets me. But this is, this is worse, right? This is all the more reason never to buy Nando's again. Um, so yeah, they, they, they've caved to public pressure. And this is so wild for Nando's because Nando's is known for pushing boundaries. Nando's is known for, you know, making the ads that no one else would make, right? They, they, they call politicians out. They are the kings of satire. Uh, the mere fact that they had signed on or at least gotten in bed or on board with something like uh, Cliff Central with someone like Gareth Cliff, knowing who he is, uh, knowing his history, it's a bit weird that they would, you know, make this turnaround. Um, what were they thinking? And Solim Wing was on a, an interview, I believe, on Newsroom Africa. First of all, I just have to say the mainstream media in South Africa is just wow. <laughs> it is so woke. Like, it is so woke. I can't. It's so woke. And and that's the thing. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like, all the news anchors are so biased. They're so left-leaning. I mean, okay, so anyway, the, the point is, Soli Mueng was a, a guest on Newsroom Africa, and he was he basically he he's got a a PR company I believe a public relations um, kind of company or, or, or organization and so he was called in for his view and he basically said well whoever did this at Nando's is obviously a coward um, he said he 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 probably doesn't think it's the same person who signed Cliff on because the person who signed Cliff on would have known what they were signing was signing on for right and I agree with that uh, and he called into question the the point that Muzuri was making that she experiences racism every day, right? Everyday racism as a black woman. Uh, and and uh, but he he was careful to say he was sure to say that he, it's not that we don't care about racism. Of course, we care about racism. And Soli Moyeng, by the way, is a black man. Uh, but so he was saying, well, no, we care about racism. Of course, it matters. Uh, but in the sense of in, in in the context of local government elections, and particularly. Um, in the context of uh, that conversation that Gareth Cliff was trying to have, uh, is it really relevant? Uh, is race really relevant, right? And pe some people would say, yes, it is relevant because uh, racism is relevant to local government elections. And Gareth Cliff was making the point that it isn't while Munzuri was saying it is. Now, this is important. This is where we need to define our terms because Gareth Cliff... And Solly would probably agree in the fact that it doesn't, it's not as important in local government elections. Race just isn't as important in local government elections as service delivery is, which is the conversation Gareth Cliff was trying to have. Um, uh, whereas other people would say, well, actually, it is very important when you consider systemic racism, right, and institutional racism, because municipalities are institutions um, and service delivery is 
a responsibility of these systems and these racist institutions or institutions that were founded and run uh, based on racism in the past and just were fashioned to uh, discriminate against uh, black women or black people generally, but black women in particular, um, black working class women, maybe even black unemployed women way more, right? Um, and and, and uh, people who, um, you know, aren't able-bodied and people who uh, reside in rural areas and so on and so forth and all the other um, points of, of intersection. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I agree with Solly in that point. Which race, which definition of race do you buy into? Um, do you think that race is a primary concern in local government elections? I don't know. I think for me, the jury is still out on that because I am becoming more and more suspicious of the ideas of systemic racism because of how, um, because they become a slippery slope, especially when adopted by the left, because the left really just cannot moderate, right? So once they take something like systemic racism, although the idea is very profound, and I think it's it's a very, it's, it's I mean, it's a very compelling notion, right? That institutions are just imbued with prejudice in ways that are harmful, in ways that uh, perpetuate racism, that's something compelling that we, we need to contend with. But once that kind of thing is adopted by leftist progressive politics, uh, like, I don't know, I don't have any hope of anything good coming out of that. So I'm, I'm very suspicious to just take that on. But honestly, um, I agree with Gareth that um, nobody's interested in identity politics, that I can agree with. I don't agree with Gareth's, um, Gareth Cliff's uh, um methodology in terms of how we conduct these interviews he was and even before we got to this point in the in the interview i felt like he was being unnecessarily harsh towards muzuri he would make comments after she spoke um you know about okay there's no need to be sarcastic so early in the interview you know things that he just wouldn't say to 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 john steenhazen and i think that's not necessarily because he's racist i i think gareth cliff is just a very abrasive like not nice person right so i wouldn't like want to like go for drinks with Gareth Cliff and hang hang out with Gareth Cliff. He he doesn't strike me as a nice person. Like he doesn't strike me as good company necessarily or like, yeah, yeah. I just don't see him as a, as a, as a nice, polite person. And he's, he definitely, that's not his brand. You know, he's not, he's not a polite person in public. Um, and that's what he was coming off as, off as uh, in the, in the interview, but the, I, I did sense a bit of like more. He was he was coming off just as a bit more um, too as a bit too abrasive, like unnecessarily so. And I think even impatient. Um, a part of me thought though that that may have been because of the um, the the one essay movement. I don't know. Maybe he's just got a, a, a leaning towards. Uh, Democratic Alliance uh, policy positions. I mean, he did say that he's 
all in favor of the independence and he is very interested in what one SA is doing. Uh, but at the same time, he just didn't, he, yeah, I don't know. He, 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 he didn't have an even hand, right. Um, when, with his approach to his panelists, he, he was definitely more heavy handed on Muzuri than he was on John. And I wonder why that is the case. Uh, is it because he's racist? I think not. And I tweeted as much earlier on. I said, uh, you know, all racists are jerks, but not all jerks are racists. And Gareth Cliff is not a racist, or at least that's my position. Let me know what you think. Let's get into free stuff. Just a final thought on that issue of whether or not race is actually relevant uh, in the local government elections. I'd like us to consider Maslow's hierarchy for a second, right? So Abraham Maslow is an American uh, psychologist who uh, developed this hierarchy or at least proposed this hierarchy uh, of needs. Uh, And it's basically... um, uh, he basically tries to say that, you know, people are motivated by this hierarchy of needs. Uh, they dictate uh, people's behavior. And, um, it, okay, essentially there, there are levels to, to this, right, about five levels. First, at the bottom of the hierarchy are physiological needs. Um, this is the lowest level, and this these needs include food, water, sufficient rest, clothing, shelter, overall health, and reproduction, right? Um, these basic physiological needs must be addressed uh, before you can move to the next level of fulfillment. And the next level is safety, right? Your safety needs um, include protection from violence and theft, uh, emotional stability, and well-being, Right. So also health security and financial security. Those are your safety needs in the second level. Third, you've got love and belonging needs. Um, these are your social needs um, that that Maslow puts uh, on the hierarchy. And these relate to human interaction. Um, these are the last of the lower needs. Um, and, and these are basically relations among friendships, family bonds, um, uh, and even chosen family. So that those are your spouses, your partners, uh, physical and emotional intimacy, re- sexual relationships, emotional bonds, um, you know, uh, a, a kind of elevated kinship uh, and even membership in social groups uh, contributes to meeting this need uh, from that idea of belonging to a team uh, of, for instance, co-workers and, and, and forming uh, an identity in a union or a club or, or something like that. And then you've got your esteem needs. This is the first of your higher needs, right? Um, and this is basically your ego-driven needs, uh, your, your, your um, need for self-respect, uh, esteem, the belief that you are valuable and deserving of dignity, um, you know, confidence in your potential for personal growth and accomplishments. And um, the, this is, yeah, the, I mean, Maslow specifically notes that self-esteem can be broken into two types. Uh, that would be esteem, which is based on respect and acknowledgement of from others, and esteem, which is based on your own self-assessment. Um, so, yeah, those those would be the two types of esteem. And then, lastly, at the very top, you've got your self-actualization needs. Um, self-actualization basically describes the fulfillment of your full potential as an individual. Um, 
self-actualization is also sometimes called self-fulfillment. Um, and this is the highest spot on the pyramid, right? So this includes things like education, skill development, uh, refining your talents in music and art and cooking and whatever you like to do. And broader goals like learning a new language and traveling and, you know, winning awards and accomplishments and things like that. Now, where exactly would you put the kinds of things that the local government uh, is dealing with? Like municipal elections, I would say, are probably closer to... I mean, ideally, municipal elections would cover all of these um, needs, right? But I would say more closely related to the first two, the first two uh, levels of Maslow's hierarchy. Those would be your physiological needs. You know, we want water. We want access to food, shelter, definitely, health, clothing. You know, that's what we care about. Um, at the local level, especially if you're someone who, like me, believes in the principle of subsidiarity. You really need uh, municipalities and local government to be the ones who are cranking down on getting this right, on getting shelter right, on getting water right. Um, and then, of course, your safety needs on the second level. Uh, municipalities should be worried about, or at least most worried, most concerned, especially because they're the closest closest to the problem, right? That's what subsidiarity is all about. They should be most worried about making sure that people are protected from theft and violence. Um, and, of course, health and security, um, health security and just emotional stability and well-being, obviously, matter in terms of mental health but like just i wanted to just bring in maslow's hierarchy to get more of a sense of what we we what we should be considering when we try to answer the question of whether or not race is relevant and of course ideally the local government elections any election would deal with all of these needs but there is a sense in which some things are just more important than others you know um you know all things are important i guess you know all these issues are important but Equally? Are they all equally important? Anyway, let's get into let's get into free stuff. In free stuff today, I'm giving you unsolicited advice that's going to push back against something I've said in the past, uh, ironically in a segment of free stuff also, where I challenged you to um or at least challenged myself, because this segment is uh, a little bit selfishly about myself and about things that I'm struggling with. Usually you'll be able to tell where I am in life by just listening to this segment. But yeah, um, Free Stuff today is challenging the idea of faith-life integration um, in a way that kind of affirms faith-life integration. And essentially... Um, is there such a thing as a secular spiritual divide? I was listening to a teaching today um, wh where the speaker said that in the Hebrew worldview, in the Old Testament worldview, there is no such thing as um, a spiritual life versus a secular life. Um, in fact, the idea of uh, the physical and the spiritual, um, that dichotomy uh, 
began with Plato, right? So in the Hebrew worldview, even just in the languaging, right, there's no word for spiritual in the Old Testament. All life is spiritual. Um, everything is one, right, <clears throat> according to that worldview. And that really just put it into perspective for me because would we really be struggling so much with integrating faith and life? And now thinking about that wording doesn't even make sense anymore, right? Because what do you mean faith and life? Because how was your faith up outside of your life? And how was your life outside of your faith, you know? Uh, but yeah, just we wouldn't be having as much um, contention around the issues of integrating our secular and spiritual lives, so to speak, if we just accepted them as, or at least accepted that dichotomy as being false. It is a false dichotomy because either you're spiritual or you're not. And if you're spiritual, you cannot exist at any point in any environment, in any circumstance as a non-spiritual being. Like either you are or you aren't, right? So all life is spiritual. And I challenge you to look at it that way. If you do, especially if you do consider yourself spiritual and particularly Christian, um, should like would you be dealing, ask yourself that question, would you be dealing with as much of the fragmentation and just lack of coherence uh, between your politics, your faith, your academics, your career, your your relationships, your social life, um, and your faith or spirituality, if you just considered all life as being spiritual. For me, honestly, I wouldn't. Um, and it's it's definitely going to challenge me to to approach my life in a different way than I had uh, before I heard this. I definitely needed to hear that. And hopefully you did too. And that's why I put it into free stuff. It's unsolicited. You probably don't need it, but you get it anyway. And that's why it's a little bit like grace. That's all I have for you today on the show. These conversations never end. Uh, I never want them to. That's why they continue, not just in the comments, but also on my social media at Lele Mutari underscore, or just peruse the description box for um, links and um, just other places where you can find me and get in touch with me. I love to hear from you. But until next time, please breathe. Breathe deeply, okay? Drink water and pray. It's been a pleasure spending time with you, as it always is. I have been Lele Mutari. Stay blessed. Ah.